Let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, we pray you would glorify Christ during this time and that our hearts would treasure and love Christ more and more as we read your word and as I speak. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we considered the supremacy, preeminence, power and majesty of Christ, who is of number one importance in creation, but also needs to be number one in our hearts as Christians, because we place him as the one with the most importance in all the universe, in all the world. He is God, and he is the creator of all things, and he's also the, the preeminent one, the supreme one in creation. And I finished last week, you may remember I, I preached a seven-point sermon last week, so apologies for that, well done for coming back if you were here last week. You may remember my seventh and final point last week was, that the, was this, Christ reconciles us to God the Father. I still think I'm ringing a little bit, guys, just a little bit. Um, so Christ reconciles us to God the Father. So we were once enemies of God, hostile to him, but Christ has made us God's friends, which is an amazing title. We can say we are friends of God. We were once distant from God with no relationship with him at all, but Christ, through the cross, has brought us close, and we are called sons and daughters of the Father in heaven. This is the reconciliation that Christ brings to all Christians. He makes us friends. He makes us sons and daughters through his death and resurrection. So that was last week. This week... Now that we have been made friends of God, what should our lives look like? Now we have received this amazing salvation through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. How do we go on living in this salvation? Well, let's find out by reading together Colossians 2, verses 1 to 15. Um, if you do have a Bible, let's get it open there. And if you don't, it will appear on the screen. Colossians 2, verses 1 to 15. Paul writing to the Colossian church. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, 
having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So a very simple question I want to ask this morning. From these verses that I've just read to you in Colossians chapter 2, what do we learn about the Christian life? And the first thing that I think we learn from that passage that Paul writes is that Christians should battle and struggle for one another in prayer. In verse 1, Paul says, I want you to know how great a struggle I'm facing, how great a struggle I have for you. And when he uses the word you, he's talking about the people in Colossae, the church in Colossae. He's talking about the church in Laodicea. And he's talking about all the Christians who he hasn't been able to see face to face. And he's saying, I have a struggle for you. Now, the struggle or the conflict that Paul is talking about is battling in prayer. This is what he's talking about. We've already seen in chapter 1 of Colossians how Paul loves to pray and rejoice for the Colossian Christians. He starts off his letter saying, I I always thank God for you. I'm always rejoicing because of your faith in Jesus Christ. But now he's saying, I'm not only rejoicing as I'm praying, I'm also struggling for you. I'm lifting you up in prayer. I'm devoting myself to the work of prayer. I'm toiling, I'm struggling, I'm battling because I want to pray for you. You can see what he's praying for in in verse 2. He's praying that their hearts would be encouraged. He's praying that they would be knit together in love. He's praying that they would reach all the riches of full assurance, knowledge and wisdom. All All of those things are found in Christ Jesus. So he's battling and he's praying for the Colossian church. And this opening to chapter 2 forces me to ask myself a question about my own prayer life. Am I a fair weather prayer? It's very beautiful weather today, isn't it? Am I a fair weather prayer? Is my prayer life gentle and easy and at my convenience? And if something interrupts my prayer time, that's okay. I'll just go, oh, forget about prayer. Let's go and do whatever I have to do. Am I a fair weather prayer? I only pray when it's easy. Well, that's not what Paul's prayer life is like, is it? He's talking about a struggle. Paul's prayer life was a joy. He loved to pray. He loved to spend time in God's presence. He loved to thank God. But Paul's prayer life was also about struggling on behalf of other Christian believers who he loved. And he knew that when he went to pray, it was not only something that he loved, it was also a moment of hard work and, and doing the work on his knees before God. Rain or shine, whether he was feeling it or whether he was struggling, Paul would pray for the Colossian church. He would pray for the Laodicean church and he would pray for the Christians around the world who he'd been unable to see. He says, I'm crying out, pouring out my energies on behalf of you whom I love. And so the first thing we learn in this passage about the Christian life is it is a life of battle in prayer, struggling in prayer. I wonder how God would move mightily in this town if we were strugglers in prayer. Yes, we love to pray, but we also know that we're doing hard work when we come before God because ultimately we're calling out to the one who can do all things. And so prayer is our most important work as Christians in one sense. The second thing we learn about the Christian life from that passage is that the Christian life is a life of treasuring Jesus Christ. 
Have a look at verse 2. Paul uses the word riches in verse 2. He is praying for wealth in verse 2 of Colossians. Of course, he's not praying for material wealth, that he had a, a big bank account. No, he's praying for a wealth of spiritual and understanding and knowledge. I want you to have riches of spiritual understanding and knowledge. And what is Paul praying for knowledge of? Well, the answer is at the end of verse 2, God's mystery. He's praying to the Colossian church, they have knowledge of God's mystery. And what is God's mystery? Or rather, who is God's mystery? Again, the end of verse 2, which is Christ. What's Paul praying for? What are the riches that Paul is praying for? The riches of knowing Christ. And you can see that that idea continues into verse 3. The riches of knowing Christ is described as treasure. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I love Colossians 2 verse 3. And I, I really want to say three things about that verse to you. Firstly, are you someone who likes to be knowledgeable and wise? Are you desiring knowledge and wisdom? In fact, for some people, um, knowledge can be an idol. You, want, you desire to be the cleverest person in the room so you can feel superior. Well, if you are someone who wants wisdom and knowledge, look at that verse and know this truth. Wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. Wisdom and knowledge, according to Colossians 2.3, are found in Christ. And therefore you can find true knowledge and true wisdom in the Gospels, reading about Christ's life. You can find wisdom and knowledge in prayer, coming before Christ, knowing him personally and learning from him. And in, in this way, if you seek your wisdom and your knowledge in Christ then, of course, that's not idolatry because you find yourself worshipping Jesus as you receive knowledge and wisdom from him. So if you are someone who wants to be knowledgeable and wants to be wise, I would urge you, firstly, to seek that knowledge and wisdom in Christ. Secondly, the second thing I want to say about this verse is that Christ is portrayed as a treasure chest in this verse, full of precious gems, treasures, and riches. Now, I want you to think about an epic treasure hunt, maybe a movie or a film about pirates or something, where the pirates go over sea and land in order to find the buried treasure. They leave behind everything at home, and they go, we've got, to we've got this map, we've got a big red X on the map, we've got to get there, we've got to find it, and we're prepared to travel around the globe to find this treasure buried in this marked place. Well, this must be our heart when it comes to Jesus Christ. We want to leave things behind and go over sea and land in order to find the treasure chest that is Christ. I wonder whether you have that heart and love and desire for Jesus in your life. Perhaps this isn't the best way of putting it, but, putting it, but we need to be Christian pirates searching for Christ who is our treasure. I wonder whether you have that love for Jesus Christ. 
I never want to miss a Sunday. I never want to miss a life group. I never want to miss a prayer meeting because I know that where two or three people are gathered in the name of Christ, he's going to be there. Jesus will be there. I'm desperate for Christ. I would travel over oceans to find Christ in the, in, buried in the sand like a treasure chest. I'm definitely going to be there. I don't want to miss these things. And I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm going to spend time in Christ's presence on my own. In private prayer, opening my Bible. I love Christ. I know when I'm opening my Bible, I'm hearing the word of God and I will meet with Jesus. Is Christ your treasure? We long to commune with Jesus all the day long. Thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, I want to say this about Colossians 2 verse 3. The greatest treasure of the Christian life is Christ himself. He is the pearl of great value. It's knowing him that's, that's the greatest treasure in life. And so we speak about lots of blessings that we receive from Christ as Christians. We talk about salvation. We talk about eternal life. We talk about forgiveness. We talk about the family that is the church. We talk about joy. We talk about being loved. And all these things are wonderful blessings. All of them are wonderful blessings that come with Christ. But Christ himself is the best gift of all. If you are a Christian, you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and he is your greatest treasure. All those amazing blessings that come with Christ, fantastic, wonderful, amazing things to celebrate and rejoice in, but Christ himself is the one we love most of all. Imagine a soldier who's been away on tour comes home for Christmas and he comes home to his family with a sack full of presents for his kids. Amazing presents. How, would, how does the child react in that moment? Yes, they open and enjoy the presents that they have received. You know, it would be rude not to, wouldn't it, to not open the presents, to ignore, no. So they open and receive those pe- presents and they like them. But most of all, what do those children want to do? They want to ha- hug their dad who has come home in that amazing moment. His presence on Christmas Day is the best gift of all, the most precious treasure in that moment. And that's what the Christian life should be like as well. We rejoice and we sing about the amazing blessings, but Christ himself is the one we love most of all, the one we enjoy most of all. So I love that verse. I love those those three things. We need to be Christian pirates seeking Christ. We need to treasure Christ above all. All things, and if we want knowledge and wisdom, we find them in Jesus. Have a look at verses six and seven, which is the next thing I want to highlight in this passage. In some ways, verses six and seven contain a very simple truth. But for me, it's the central idea in this passage. What does the Christian life look like? Well, it's not just receiving Jesus, it's walking in him, being rooted in him, being built up in him. This is what it is to continue being a Christian. If, if you believed in Christ, there was a day, there was a moment of conversion, and a momentous conversion took place in your life. The Holy Spirit came and gave you new life in your heart. It was a momentous moment of conversion, the moment you received Christ, a wonderful, fantastic moment. But for Paul, in verses 6 and 7, it's not just about one moment. It's about the rest of your life walking 
in Christ, being rooted in him, being built up in him, being established in the faith. And the fruit of all of that is you would abound in thanksgiving. As you walk in, in Christ, you abound with thanksgiving, praising him for all he has done for you. So I want to ask you some questions. Do you sense yourself walking and taking steps in relationship with Christ in your life? Do you feel your roots going down deeper into Jesus? Are you building upwards in our Lord and Saviour day by day? Or are you still at square one? Are you still the same as when you first became a Christian? Perhaps even you were more zealous and passionate when you first became a Christian because you received this amazing love. Are you growing? Are you walking in Christ? Walking with him, building with him, putting down roots deeper and deeper day by day. This is what Paul wants for the Colossian church, that they would not only receive Christ, but walk in him each and every day. As many of you know, um, my father-in-law, Peter, has dementia, and Rachel and I have spent some time up in the north caring for him recently. And it's, diffi- it's difficult caring for someone and looking after f- someone with um, dementia. But one thing surprises me and fills me with joy about spending time with Peter. And I don't know whether this is true for every Christian who gets it or whether it will always be true about Peter. But at the moment, it amazes me how often he expresses faith in Christ, even as he forgets other things in his life, he's still a man of prayer. He's still a man who asks Rachel and I to pray with him about things. He's still a man who loves to sing along to hymns and praise Jesus Christ. There's something in him still that really loves Jesus. And as I said, I don't know whether that will always be the case, but right now I think that is evidence of a man who has walked day by day in Christ. It is something rooted in him because he's he's done it every day and so he keeps doing it even as he forgets other things in his life and so i believe that to be a sign of god's grace in his life but i also consider that to be a provocation that i would be someone who walks in christ day by day and has roots into jesus so that that would remain in me if i ever got to that situation i wonder whether you pray for that that you would pray, that you'd not only receive Christ and enter into salvation on your day of conversion, but you'd also walk in Christ and be rooted in him and built up into Christ. Please don't just receive Christ, but grow in your love and knowledge of him. And the reason that is important is because in this chapter of Colossians, Paul says there are two threats to the Christian life. There are two threats that seek to stop us walking in Christ day by day. Have a look at verse 8 for me. In verse 8, Paul talks about human philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. And later, next week in fact, um, when we look at Colossians, we're going to find out the specific things that are being said that are, that are designed to pull them away from walking in Christ. So we're going to look at the specifics. But now, let's just speak generally and say this. There are people who will try to teach us things which are deceitful. And the source of this authority is human ideas and tradition. 
Now, we've already been told in Colossians that wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. You find wisdom and knowledge in Christ, but here's Paul saying there's something that's going to try and pull you away from walking in Christ day by day, and it's human philosophy according to human tradition. And so we need to have this attitude, we need to have this mindset Christ is the source of wisdom and knowledge. And we submit everything we learn by other human beings to what it says in God's word. He is our ultimate authority. And so the human ideas must submit to God's word. And if there's a contradiction, then we say, well, Christ is the source of wisdom and the source of knowledge. He is the one whom I will follow. He is the one who I will believe because he is the creator. He is the source of all wisdom and all knowledge. I want to speak specifically to parents on this issue. You need to teach your children this. You need to teach your children that Christ is the source of wisdom and authority. And human tradition and human ideas need to be submitted to scripture. Otherwise, your children will go off to school and swallow all the ideas that they are fed. And they will not have this wisdom that comes from Christ in order to weigh what they're being taught. Is this true? Is this, is this in accordance with what Christ teaches? Or is this different to what the Bible teaches? Do I need to understand this better? Do I need to ask questions? Do I need to really get under the skin? Because Christ is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. So if you're a parent, I just encourage you, teach your children to weigh these things. Teach your children that Christ is the source of knowledge and wisdom. And actually that human ideas, human philosophies, can be deceitful and can lead us astray. In verse 8, Paul says, see to it. You see to it. It's an instruction. It's an imperative given to the Colossians. See to it that you are not taken captive by this philosophy and empty deceit. You need to make sure that you're not being taken captive by human lies. But there's another threat in verse 8 as well. Elemental spirits of the world. There's human philosophy and deceit. And then there's something that Paul describes as elemental spirits of the world. And we understand that to be Satan and his evil demons working in this world, seeking to teach us lies and teaching us to forsake Christ and to go a different way. To stop walking in Christ and to start walking without Christ. In 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church this time, and he says, We forgive each other so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and says, We shouldn't be ignorant of Satan. We shouldn't be outwitted by Satan. We need to, we need to understand that he exists, that there are spiritual powers in this world that would seek to trip us up and make us fall and make us fall away from Christ. We need to know his designs. Not so we can become fixated upon all these demonic forces, but just so we're wise and we know what's going on. We're prepared and we're asking for protection from Christ. And so as Christians, we ought We ought not to be ignorant of Satan. We ought not to be ignorant of spiritual powers in this world. We need to understand his tricks. We need to understand his designs. And Satan's most common design or trick is to lie. In John 8, 44, Jesus describes Satan as the father of lies. Satan loves to lie. He loves to twist truth. He loves to twist things so we stop seeking our knowledge and wisdom in Christ and start to seek it someplace else. Human philosophy, which is not in agreement with Christ, comes not only from human deceit, 
but ultimately comes from spiritual powers seeking to teach the world lies and to draw them away from Christ. This is a spiritual battle that we are in. And so we need Christ and we need the Holy Spirit to aid us in this battle. And I think it is a wise prayer to pray, Lord Jesus, just protect me. Keep me in what is true. Keep me walking with you. In Ephesians chapter 6, speaking about this spiritual battle, there's a whole set of armour, armour of Christ given to Christians. And, and maybe it's helpful to prayerfully put this armour on in order to protect us, knowing that we are in a spiritual battle. In verse 9 and 10, Paul reminds us that Christ in Christ is the fullness of deity. Christ is fully God. And he reminds us that all authority belongs to him. He is the head of the church. So he is the one we go to, to test the things that we hear. We need to know there are threats, human deceit, spiritual power seeking to teach us lies. And so we need to cling to Christ and remember his power, his authority, his divinity. And so the important question at this point is, how do we fight these threats? that seek to stop us walking in Christ? How do we fight against these threats? And I think the answer comes in the verses that follow, where Paul teaches Christians to live in the power of the cross and the resurrection. Paul teaches Christians to live in the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. So we're walking along in Christ, things are going well, we're coming to church on a Sunday and we're singing during the week and we're praying, and we're, reading, but we're doing all things with Jesus, he's our greatest treasure. And then bang, human philosophy seeks to take us down. We're, we're asked a question we don't know the answer to. Or someone tries to teach us things and says, wow, that sounds really convincing. Or the evil spiritual powers seek to lie to us and, and feed us lies about ourselves or lies about our salvation. We're attacked and we tr they try to throw us off. Where do we go in that moment when that happens? Where do we go in that moment? Well, Paul goes to the cross and to the resurrection and he shows us how these events in the past transform our present reality. In verses 11 to 15, Paul speaks about several ways in which the power of the cross and the resurrection will help you keep walking with Jesus. And there's so many things. I, th I think I said uh, last week I could preach hundreds of sermons on this passage, and I could preach hundreds of sermons on verses 11 to 15, I could make hundreds of points, but I, I just want to highlight three ways in which Paul speaks about the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection in such a way that it transforms our present realities as Christians. So firstly, verse 12, Paul says, you as Christians have been buried with Christ and raised with Christ. Now we know that Jesus died on the cross and was buried in a tomb, don't we? We know the Easter story. We know he died on the cross and he was buried in a tomb. And we know that on Easter Sunday, he rose again to life. That's the Easter story that we believe and celebrate as a historical event as Christians. But what Paul's saying is that we were buried with Christ and that we were raised with Christ. Now, what is he talking about? None of us were physically there, I don't think. None of us were there, died with Christ on the cross and were buried with him. And then none, none of us. So what is Paul talking about? Well, what Paul is saying is that the power of the Holy Spirit given to all believers spiritually unites us to Christ. 
So that those events in the past aren't just historical facts, historical events, the things that happened, but they are spiritual realities for us. The Holy Spirit is this glorious spiritual connection to Christ and all that Christ has done. And so I can say this. I was buried with Christ. I wasn't there physically, but the Holy Spirit took my old self, old Duncan, who was completely sinful in every way, and the Holy Spirit, in his awesome, awesome power, buried that old self with Christ, spiritually took that old self to Christ's tomb, and I was also raised with Christ. The Holy Spirit gave me new life, a new Duncan, resurrected spiritually to live for Christ. And so I can say this is a spiritual, not a physical truth, but a spiritual truth. I was buried with Christ and I have been raised with Christ because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ lives within me and he connects me to those past events. And if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ this morning, you can say the same about you. You were buried with Christ. Your old self died and a new self has been raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. You were buried with Christ and raised with Christ. If you're a Christian, this isn't just a nice idea. It sounds good, doesn't it? But it's not just a nice idea. It is a spiritual reality for you. Your old self buried and your new self alive with Christ. You know, some people have radical testimonies, amazing testimonies of that moment they received Christ for the first time. You know, you, you hear testimonies of drug druggies who are completely addicted to drugs and then they believe in Christ and instantly in the power of the Holy Spirit they're freed from those addictions and they live, they they seem to be changed in a moment and it's such a radical amazing testimony. You can see in those lives this happening, this spiritual reality happening. Their old self died and their new self raised. But actually all of us have radical testimonies. All of us have radical testimonies because our sinful selves were buried with Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and our righteous selves made alive in the power of the Holy Spirit. I do not mean that we are now without sin. I do not mean that we never get it wrong. I mean, never sin. But I do mean that in your life, a spiritual death and a spiritual resurrection has taken place. A radical moment of death and life. And of course, this moment is symbolized by the act of baptism. We dunk people into water as though they're being buried, and we raise them up as though they're being raised to new life, because this is what the Holy Spirit has done in their lives. They have been buried with Christ and raised to new life, symbolized by this amazing moment of water baptism. And that's why it's so important that new believers get baptized. We're outwardly saying, this is what has happened to me. I've died and been raised to new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, the moment itself is a moment of God's power and grace at work. When doubts come, when lies are shared, when arguments, that oh, this is such a convincing argument, human philosophy, you can say, hey, my old self is dead, my new self is alive, I was raised with Christ, and therefore, since that is who I am, someone who's been raised with Christ spiritually, I will keep walking with Christ. 
I will refute, rebuke, ignore these doubts and lies and arguments because I'm alive in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing I want us to see in Colossians is that our record of sin and debt has been nailed to the cross. Verse 14 is such a great way to think about what happens at the cross. It's a great way to think about the power of the cross. I want you to imagine a list of all your wrongdoing on a very, very big piece of paper. At least for me, it would be a very, very big piece of paper, daily added to, unfortunately, of the things that I do wrong. It would be a huge, there would be some horrible things on that bit of paper. I want you to imagine that for yourself. All your wrongdoing on one bit of paper. All your crimes against God. All the reasons you don't deserve heaven and you don't deserve a relationship with God. Imagine that all written on a bit of paper. In Christ's death, that list was nailed to the cross. And therefore, your sin and the power of law and the power of sin over your life was set aside. Christ died for those crimes so that you didn't have to, so that you are forgiven. I think this is just a beautiful picture. Imagine your big piece of paper being nailed to the cross and taken to the grave by Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And we don't bear the punishment that our sins deserve, but Christ bears the punishment that our sins deserve. And so that we are forgiven and free. That paper no longer exists in God's mind. In God's mind, you are blameless and forgiven for everything that you did yesterday, everything that you'll do today, and everything you'll do tomorrow, forever and ever, everything nailed to the cross, because this is what Christ died for. This is the power of the cross in action in our lives today. And you know why this is so important? It's because one of the lies Satan loves to tell is, you're still guilty. God doesn't, God doesn't love you. God can't love you. You're still a guilty criminal, a guilty sinner. You've done loads of things today. How dare you come to church? You, you were awful yesterday. How dare you sit here on a Sunday and come to church? You're not worthy. You're guilty. And our response to that lie is to say, no. My sins were nailed to the cross. Christ carried them. My bit of paper no longer exists in the eyes of God. I am blameless forever and ever. Thirdly and, and finally, on the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection, have a look at verse 15. The power of the cross and the power of the resurrection disarms Satan and his followers. It says in verse 15 that rulers and authorities are put to open shame because Christ has triumphed over them. We can't be ignorant of Satan's designs and Satan's schemes. We can't be ignorant of the existence of spiritual powers. But we also must not be ignorant of how Christ has been victorious over Satan and victorious over evil. They're fighting, they're scheming, but they've already lost the battle. In fact, they've been disarmed by Christ. They've turned up to the battle and they've forgotten their swords. This is how Christ has triumphed over them. He's disarmed them. He's taken away their power through the cross. Do you know a lie is not a powerful weapon against someone who knows the truth? Lies are very weak if you go, well, I'm not going to believe that. I'm just going to go to Christ where I find true wisdom and true understanding. And so actually the lies of the evil one can be dangerous if we're not aware of them. 
if we're ignorant of them. But if we walk with Christ and go back to Christ, then that undermines the power of the lie. It's like these demons have turned up without weapons. If we keep believing the truth of the gospel. And this is what Christ did upon the cross. He defeated the power of sin upon the cross so that he wins forgiveness for us. And this is what Christ does in the resurrection. He is risen to new life and the power of death is defeated so that all who trust in Christ have been given this wonderful gift of eternal life through Christ. And therefore, the the greatest weapons that Satan has to wield are, are gone in the power of the cross and the resurrection. So we need to be aware of the presence of these spiritual powers and their desire to stop us walking in Christ. But we're not frightened of them. We're not frightened because Christ has already disarmed and shamed them, according to verse 15. Our sin has been nailed to the cross and death has been defeated in the power of the resurrection. The power of evil has already lost and it's only a matter of time before they are completely defeated and swallowed up. These three truths about the power of the cross and the resurrection are a powerful bedrock for Christians to hold on to, to keep us walking in Christ. So we, re- we receive Christ once when we believed in him. We go on walking in him and being rooted in him and being built up in Christ. And, and what's our most powerful weapon in that journey It's going back to the cross and the resurrection and saying, what has Christ achieved for me? Who am I? How have I been transformed by the power of the cross and the resurrection? Well, I've been buried. My old self has been buried with Christ. My new self has been raised to life in Christ. My sins have been nailed to the cross, so I'm blameless and forgiven forever and ever. And the powers of Satan and evil spirits have been disarmed and defeated through the cross and the resurrection. These things help us as we keep walking with Christ day by day. So let us battle in prayer. Let us treasure Christ. Let us walk and be rooted in and be built up in Christ. And though human philosophy and elemental spirits try to deceive us, we will keep walking in Christ because of the power of the cross and the resurrection, because of what Christ has done for us that transforms who we are here and now in this very moment and for the rest of our lives. I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Saviour Jesus. We love him. We treasure him. He is the most precious jewel that we can cling to. We love knowing him. We love that we have a relationship with him, that he is our saviour and our lord and our king and our brother. He is our hero. He is one who we speak to in prayer. Lord, Lord Jesus, we love you. And I pray for each of us that you would be our greatest treasure day by day. Lord, I pray we would walk in Christ today and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives, and we would know ourselves. We would know our roots going down deeper in Christ day by day. We would know that we are building upon Christ with everything we do. Help us walk in Christ. Protect us, Lord, from human deceit, human philosophy, and from the lies that are told by Satan and his followers. 
Keep us walking in Christ and to help us, Lord, remind us daily of the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. Remind us of what Christ has done that can never be taken away and how that transforms our reality now. I thank you that we were buried with Christ and we've been raised to new life with him spiritually. We love that truth and I pray we would walk in the newness of life and the spiritual power that we have received. I pray we would battle in prayer for one another as well, Lord God. Make us great prayers because we love each other and we love to lift one another up to you, Lord God. Battling in prayer because we know that prayer is so effective, calling on your name and you moving in power and glory. So we thank you for this truth. I pray it will permeate our lives and transform our hearts to the glory of Jesus Christ, who we love and adore. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.